Good morning. Welcome to Victory Baptist Church. Hope you're looking forward to interacting and fellowshipping with uh, fellow believers today. Time where we can corporately worship our Lord in song and hearing a message from God's Word. So we're delighted you could be with us. We're going to miss the Crestmans. A number of you got a chance to meet them. They've been coming here fairly regularly. John and Diane Crestman. They're headed south for a little warmer weather. They have some family down there. They'll be gone for, I think, probably till June. So you know, think about them, pray for them. Uh, let's continue to pray for Randy. We've uh, been praying for him. He's had a number of challenges, and uh, hopefully he'll be back with us in some weeks down the line. But you just pray for him. Uh, continue to pray for his needs, and it's nice to have Dolly with us. She had a few incidents as well, but we're glad you're back with us uh, today for a time of fellowship. And thank you for coming and joining with us. Uh, we're going to be singing some songs, a number of them you're probably all of them very familiar with, but um, the songs have the joy of the Lord in them, and I, I hope that when you're singing, you sing with joy in your heart and uh, yeah there's a lot of things can weight us down in life and trials can weight us down but when we have the Holy Spirit ministers to our hearts and we can have his joy and peace and we should sing it out uh, like it meant uh, we're called upon to sing to one one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making melody in our hearts to the Lord so it's not really an option for us we are called upon to do this now there's some people who are, say, gifted or have special abilities to sing, maybe solos or duets or choir and so on. Maybe uh, most of us don't have that, but we still we still can sing out the Lord. We have a lot to be thankful for, and I hope that you always keep your mind on our great God who's making it possible for us to have this wonderful joy. So let me pray, and then we'll turn it over to Larry. Lord, thank you for saving us. Wonderful hope that we have in you. We're living in difficult times, Lord. It seems like we're barraged with sad, bad, tragic news from every different angle, and it can really weigh us down. But Lord, help us to find our confidence in you. Indeed, as we learned this morning, our awesome God, we pray that we would stand in awe of you all the time. Thank you, dear God, for the peace and the joy that you can bring to our hearts in spite of the circumstances. We pray for those who are going through some trying times right now. We pray for Randy, that you bring healing to him. And know he'd really like to be back here soon. And uh, thank you that Cindy and Aaron can be with us. I thank you for helping Dolly, that she can join us as well. And pray that you continue to give her strength. Thank you for the freedoms that we have, and we do pray for those who are going through very trying times in other countries, persecuted peoples. We pray, Lord, you would, you would sustain them, and that you would, uh, you would even put your hand of protection upon them. We uh, do pray for our nation. Our needs are great. We pray for those who are in positions of decision-making, that they would stand for truth and righteousness. And now, Lord, we commit this service to you. May we go from here encouraged and strengthened that we might walk in your pathway. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, Larry, you come please. And for our first song, I ask you please to stand and turn to number 43. Rejoice the Lord is King. One, two, and four. Our next song, I ask you to turn to number 526. You may be seated. Oh, say, but I'm glad.
Brother John, going to come and read some scripture now before our next song. Bible reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'll be reading from verses 9 through 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. It's a wonderful song we just sang, I hope you, I pray that uh, you can say that you're glad, because you have a song in your heart because of the Lord. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it is on page 844, 844. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he shall be one flesh. But he hath joined us unto the Lord, excuse me, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. May God bless his word. We ask to turn back a couple more pages to 537. In my heart there rings a melody.
Wonderful. Last song I ask you please to stand again as you turn to number 359. Satisfied. You may be seated, and children are dismissed. Matt informed me last week that uh, if you want to listen to a message, maybe you're not able to be here because of illness, but you're still able to listen to a message, we, uh, the messages are posted onto our website. Now, we're not live streaming it, but at least you'll be able to listen to some of the message. Or perhaps if you were sleeping during the message and you feel guilty, well then you can listen to it again at home, all right? Thank you for coming, and uh, we, I enjoy preaching God's word, and I trust that you enjoy listening to God's word, regardless who the, who the servant is. But I want you now to take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8, living holy in an unholy world. Or another title, keeping clean in a contaminated world. Now last week, I preached a message about praying the right way, right kind of praying, that we be praying for one another, that we love each other the right way, and that we grow and become solidified in God's truth. Uh, I hope that you have at least started, embarked on that journey of not just praying for your own personal needs, but praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Apostle Paul appealed to the Thessalonians to be doing that. Now, the message today shifts slightly in the direction of how we are supposed to conduct ourselves. After all, Christianity should be more than just 
theory, more than just learning Bible trivia, but it, by our conduct, our behavior, our ethical conduct is very important to God. And so that's, we're going to be dealing with a subject that's not always comfortable to be talking about, but absolutely necessary. And I think if you're in tune with what is going on in our culture and society, you understand that the principles that are mentioned by the Apostle Paul in the first century are very applicable to us today. So if you listen to me or follow along with me, I'm going to be reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 8. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in honor, sanctification, honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need, we need to hear more of your word, and we need to have it sink into our hearts and minds. Uh, Lord, please protect us from just learning more facts uh, even though we realize the truth is important. But Lord, I pray that by your wonderful Holy Spirit, you might minister to us, bring conviction where it's necessary. Uh, we thank you for your forgiveness you extend to us, and we pray we'd have resolve to resolve in our hearts to do your will, to obey you, to live a life that's holy and pleasing before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, many, if not all of you, have heard of the recent uh, train wreck in Palestine, Ohio, that has left multitudes gravely concerned. Some of you probably thought, well, I'm glad I don't live in that area. Well, we certainly need to pray for those people who live in that area and those who are involved in trying to clean up that mess, this massive chemical spill uh, may pollute the region. Uh, for even miles around. And it's tragic to hear this news. Uh, maybe uh, some things uh, we, we don't know about, what, all that's going on, but certainly those people who live in that area are very concerned about the air being polluted, the water being polluted, some of the food being polluted from that particular area. Uh, and uh, I'm sure a number of people have thought, will this region ever be able to be clean and safe again? Now, I'm not here to just belabor bad news about what's going on environment, 
environmentally in our nation, but it does have some parallel by way of analogy to the message I want to preach today. For there is another kind of pollution that is even more frightening. And I am not diminishing the frightening news we've heard about uh, what has happened out in Ohio. But spiritual pollution that we are experiencing right now, particularly in the United States, is absolutely appalling. We live in a world that is un unholy. John says this in the epistle of 1 John chapter 5, we know we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Uh, we are living in a very evil world. It's not getting any better, and it will not get better until after the seven-year tribulation period, which could be maybe not too far from here. And I, I'm more and more getting anxious for the millennial kingdom when some of this spiritual pollution will be wiped away, when Jesus Christ will reign on this earth. So we're going to be talking about keeping clean in a world that is contaminated with all kinds of sin. Can a Christian keep clean in an evil world where the moral compass has been lost and in many cases willfully thrown away? And yes, that is indeed tragic to even talk about that. For those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, you recognize the name Lot. Lot was a nephew of Abraham. And when it came to selecting a particular area, he selected the best area that was most watered. Abraham took second choice, second best there. Uh, Abraham being very sacrificial. And Lot, the Bible talks about, pitched his tents towards Sodom. And then we see the progression there where Lot is actually eventually living right in Sodom. Now, I don't have to be, go into the details of this story, familiar with it, but Lot uh, seemed to think that he was going to find something inviting in this world, and it seems like it drastically affected his wife, who looked back and she turned to pillar salt when they course, escaped from the city before the city was completely destroyed, and some other bad things happened as well. The Bible talks about Lot, his righteous soul was vexed from day to day with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And so there is Lot, an example, who the Bible calls him righteous Lot, and that term is generally used as somebody of, of the Old Testament who was actually a believer, but he got contaminated. Now, you know that a ship is made to be sitting in the water, but the water, at least most of the water, is not supposed to get in the ship or the ship sinks. And we as believers are in a world that's filled with all kinds of wickedness, but we are not supposed to allow the world, the evil, the sinful desires to come in, or we will sink spiritually as well as some say we will very quickly make shipwreck of a life. And sadly, but true, there have been many people who are genuine believers who have made shipwreck because they've not followed the admonitions that are found in this particular passage of Scripture. Now, just by way of introduction, 
Let's just look at a few contrasting questions. Uh, the world versus Christians, all right? The world says, what am I going to get out of it? The Christian should say, is it right? The world says, does it make me happy? The Christian should say, is it holy? The world says, does it feel good? The Christian should say, will it please God? Now that brings me to at least the background to this particular text. We know the church that was founded in the city of Thessalonica was in a, an area that was a bad area. God miraculously saved people, but it's always a miracle when God saves people. But the cities of the first century, including Thessalonica, were filled with immorality of every sort. The temple of Aphrodite, which was located in this particular area, uh, exalted the ancient Greek goddess of love. And this particular temple was well known for their temple virgins, but I assure you they were not virgins. They were what we call prostitutes and harlots, and they were part and parcel of the religious system. Sexual promiscuity, unfaithfulness in marriage, and moral depravity ran rampant and was accepted as a norm in the first century culture, the Greek culture. Now, do I need to say this, that we're seeing some similar things today? Now, in the first century time, the gospel enters into this very dark world, and what a radical, radical message now enters. For there was a strong message to Christians and to these believers to live holy. That was a foreign idea to the society at that particular time. The chief aim of the Christian walk was to walk holy like God. Now, fast forward to the late 20th century and early 21st century, which you are presently living in right now. You know, it's, it's actually shameful to even speak of the depravity that's going on. And we are living in a world, we called it for quite a long time, a sexual revolution. And that is just only a microcosm of how evil it is. But we are living in a world that is completely, in many respects, polluted with things that God is displeased with. Living correctly as a Christian, even in this polluted world, is not a desirable option. It is a compelling obligation. Now, in case you didn't catch that, this is not just an option. Well, if I want to, I can, and, you know, it's just kind of a Christian liberty type issue. A guy gives us freedom in this particular area. No. This is a compelling obligation. In other words, it is a moral obligation that every single believer, from the youngest to the oldest, for someone who's saved maybe only a short period of time, to somebody who's been saved for a long period of time, 
every single believer ought to walk in purity, in holiness, I'm going to use those terms interchangeably throughout the message, that he or she may please God. Now, I hope you don't lose sight of this. I know there's a lot of things in just these few verses to talk about, but you may ask a very legitimate question. I know there's some basic answers to the question about why you and I ought to live holy, but I want to kind of work our way through the passage of Scripture. First of all, this is the will of God. Now, I know for uh, for years I've heard this, well, you make sure you seek God's will. Do you know God's will? What school you're going to go to? Do you know what God's will is for you? you know, get married and things like this. And all those may be appropriate conversations. But uh, let me tell you that there is a very specific moral compass that God has given us in his word. And we're supposed to follow this moral compass regardless of whether the world, this world has thrown it out or discarded it. This is the very will of God to stay holy. And that is really, you'll see this right from the very get-go, the passage of Scripture, verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, the big word, sanctification, uh, is basically growing, progressing in that which is truth or that which is holy. This is the will of God, to be holy. This means obeying God's prohibitions. Words are used here. To abstain from has the idea of do not yield to it. And that's going to mean that you, uh, whether you're married or whether you're single, no matter what status you are as far as marriage is concerned, you are called upon to obey God's word. Now, not to turn to the passage, but you may want to jot down, you remember to write it down, that 1 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, gives some guidance of how, how one can help prevent some person going in the wrong direction. And... Married people are so required to fulfill their obligations to their spouse. They're supposed to do that in an unselfish way. And the Bible speaks about that as being one preventive for going the wrong direction morally. It's not the only thing. There's other uh, safeguards that God has put into place. But uh, we're talking about obeying God's pro prohibitions. We have to understand that there, there are principles that God puts in place to help one. And then we're called upon to stay faithful. Single people who are not in a marriage state are still called upon to remain pure, regardless of what may say. Now, let me read to you just a few scriptures that I wrote down, or I wrote them out, so we don't have to turn there. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14 you shall not commit adultery. Verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Acts 15, 19 through 20. Abstain from fornication. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. John read this passage before. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. 
1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee youthful lust. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the body. Now that's just a few of many passages of Scripture, both the Old Testament and New Testament, that speak about the idea that God wants His children to stay holy. Now, here are a couple other helps along this way, because you know it can be something you say, how in the world can I stay holy before God? Here's a couple helps how to stay holy. Stay as far away as you can from sexual sin. Now, I heard this, I read this a number of years ago, and uh, this is way before most of us were living. Um, I say that with a smile on my face, but you understand there was a very wealthy landowner who lived up very, very high. The road to get to this palace where he lived was very dangerous. And he wanted to hire a driver for the horse and carriage where he lived. So you understand, there's maybe only one or two that were living back during that time that are still here today. But nevertheless, he wanted to hire somebody, so he put out a request, and he had somebody uh, who came up to uh, try to get the job. And he interviewed this particular potential employee, this driver, and he said to this man, how close can you drive this carriage next to the edge of the road? And that particular man responded, sir, he said, he said, I, I can drive that carriage safely within 12 inches and you'll be absolutely fine. Well, that potential employee was dismissed. This wealthy landowner decided that he was going to put out another request. He got somebody else to come. He interviewed him and he asked the man, he says, how close do you think you can drive safely to the edge of this cliff? where the road went through. And the potential employee said, sir, I could drive within six inches and you'll be perfectly safe. He was dismissed. This wealthy land order, owner got somebody else who was interviewing for the job. He asked him the question, the same basic question, how close can you drive to the edge of this dangerous cliff? And the man said, without batting an eye, he said, Sir, he says, I'll stay as far away from the edge of the cliff as I possibly can. Immediately he was hired. Now that illustration stuck in my mind when it comes to this particular, this particular subject. We don't want to get as close as we possibly can to the edge. We want to be as far away as we possibly can from it. So no, we're still in this world, and there are a lot of things that are influencing, can be influencing us, but we are called upon to stay far away from, from those things that are dis displeasing God. And then uh, learn what God's word has to say about this subject. Refuse, refuse to use another person selfishly when it comes to the areas we call specifically sexual sins, fornication, adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, or, or pornography. Now, 
Uh, many of you are familiar with doctrinal statement. Perhaps you're familiar with the doctrinal statement of Victory Baptist Church. But it says this, we believe that God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged in outside of a marriage between one, and one man and one woman. We believe that any form of homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, bestiality, incest, fornication, adultery, and pornography are sinful perversions of God's gift of sex. We believe that God disapproves of and forbids any attempt to alter one's gender by surgery or appearance. Now, I'm assuming you already have that standard, but it still has to be preached, as unpopular as it is, that God has said that he wants us to obey his prohibitions. And this is the will of God. This means you must exercise self-control. The, word, the wording here in, in verse 4 may be a little bit hard to grasp a hold of, but let me just say this. It says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Best I understand is, it's talking about having self-control of your body, having complete master of the body, not in the passion of lust, as he talks about, as the Gentiles. Uh, there's a term that maybe you're familiar with. It's not heathenism. It's hedonism. That's spelled with a D. Hedonism is a conveying a philosophy of man, enjoy yourself. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever is pleasurable, follow that pathway. That is part of the pagan culture, first century time, and it's still part of the culture and more and more so today. So you have to exercise self-control to live in holiness, to live in honor. Uh, your thoughts, what you talk about, what you see, what you read, and uh, you know, as bad as it is, and I don't diminish the thought of how bad pornography is, there's a lot of things that don't go ready technically under the, the terminology of pornography, but can get you into dangerous territory. I've heard, read, discussed things with my wife about issues, and she's been in counseling, where, where some women perhaps get involved in reading and immersed in romance novels or perhaps some of the modern movies. Very, very few movies that are produced by Hollywood today are going to help you in this area keeping your mind pure. So whether you're male or female, married or not married, God wants us to make sure that we keep the standard very high. This is the will of God. Uncontrolled passions with another is actually defrauding that person or their marriage partner of the rights of purity. It's, it's similar in some respects to stealing and invites the Lord's judgment. Notice, let's come back to this passage of Scripture again. It says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence or evil desire, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Now, the context is sexual sin, for sure. It obviously, obviously, applications can be broader than that. But it says it's because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testify. Now, that's, that's some pretty serious talk right here. Uh, we're talking about God says... 
Now he's speaking primarily to Christians. He is saying, if you leave your passions uncontrolled with another, and you allow yourself to be contaminated by sinful desires, it's, it's defrauding somebody else. And God is the avenger of this. I'll remind you of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Now, pause here because sometimes just bringing things up into the light can be helpful for us to understand. I have interacted with Christians at least they profess to be Christians, who think nothing of living together, and I'm talking about living together in the same household, and they're not married, and they, for some reason or other, they don't think that's a problem. Just the appearance alone is a problem. But the temptation can be very great. And this is, I, I've interacted with pastors, and this is getting more and more common today, that Christian parents will tolerate their children having their friends, their boyfriend or girlfriends, living in their own house when they're not married. Man, you're just inviting a storm to happen. And I can tell you some very sad stories. I don't know, it's very sad stories of these things happening. And parents just crying their eyes out after they find out that their child has become pregnant and they have partially at fault because it allowed the child to just live in the same house. This just baffles my mind. But this is where it's going. It's, it's, it's a slide, a downward slide. Everybody else is doing it. It's not fine. It's fine. No, it's not fine. It's not holy. It's wrong. It's not the will of God. Living correctly as a Christian is not a desirable option, but is, as I come back to this, a compelling obligation. So the Gentiles, um, they had gods who were actually personifications of their own immoral ambitions and lusts. So they make these gods were very, very sexually minded and so on. And uh, that was part of the culture but right thrust into this dark, dark world of gross immorality, God says, it is the will of God for you to stay holy. But there's another reason why you should walk in purity, and that is the character of the Christian life is holiness. Look, please, verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And the other expression I used before, even your sanctification. Now, we talk about character. Let me make a comment here. We use the terms reputation, and then we use the term character. Well, reputation, someone said, is like the shadow of the tree. But character is the tree itself. So there are some people who have bad character, but the reputation is still okay because nobody knows what's behind the scenes. Eventually, of course, God will bring it to the surface, if not in this time, this life, down the line. But what you want to understand that the character 
is God is what God is interested in, your life. What God sees, God's purpose for the Christian excludes living in uncleanness. Maybe your past was unclean, but you came to Christ and you were saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Having therefore these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, is a man, is, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, and we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And because of that new creature that God has made us to be, he has called us away from uncleanness. And he's called us to walk in holiness. God's purpose for the Christian is that he may walk according to holiness. Now, I've, I've gone out hunting, and there have been times when I've gone out hunting in the wilderness, and I've gotten lost. And I remember one time I got lost in every which direction. It seemed like I was running into a swamp. And I made a foolish decision, though, prior to going out hunting in this area that I was unfamiliar with, that I was going to just use the sun because I knew where the sun came up and I was going to use that as direction to be able to get back. I didn't, in my immaturity, didn't anticipate the fact that not long after I got out there, about mid-morning, it became very cloudy and I couldn't see the sun. So I went around in circles. And had it not been for the mercy and grace of God, I'd still be out there walking in circles. No. Somebody would have found me maybe eventually, but that was a very unpleasant experience. And so since then, I carry in my um, knapsack I take out with me. Not only do I carry my lunch with me or some coffee or whatever, I carry a compass with me. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go look and see, did I bring my compass with me this morning? But the compass that we need to have all the time is the moral compass of God's word. What does God say? And God says, be holy. And go a little bit further, and God says, be holy. And God says, repent of sin. And God says, he, he is displeased with sin. And God says, he wants you to walk in cleanness. And over and over again, the compass of God's word says we are to die to self, mortify the flesh, we're not supposed to be conformed to this world, Romans chapter 12. We're supposed to resist the devil. We're supposed to flee from that which is harmful to us. And so, the character of the Christian life is holiness. Hopefully, this is not new to you, but nevertheless reinforcing it. I am called to a life of holiness, not uncleanness. Now, there's another reason why you and I should walk in purity and holiness, holiness, and that is so that we might show respect to God. Respect to God. Now, this is implied from verse 8. He, therefore, that despiseth, in other words, the one who rejects what God says, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. 
Christianity was not to adopt its moral standards from the contemporary society and culture. The moral demands of God stand in sharp contrast. Staying pure will avoid God's vengeance. That means, simply put, God's judgment. If one rejects these admonitions that are found in this text and plenty of other texts, some of them I alluded to, if one rejects these admonitions given, it is principally God you're rejecting, for he has given to the believer the Holy Spirit. Someone put these words, and I thought it was good. The way to escape the avenger is to, the, to fly to the giver, that is God, and accept and cherish his gift. And in focus, of course, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 brings us out. That's why I had John read that earlier. But if one rejects this message that is found here about staying holy, this in essence, it is not rejecting man's laws. It is not rejecting a pastor's sermon. It is not rejecting the church's constitution, the doctrinal state and the constitution. It is God who demands moral purity. And when you reject it, in essence, you are saying, God, I don't care. Makes no difference. You can blame it on everybody else, but you're rejecting the very holy God who's put this into, into motion. So you want to, I want to, respect God. Now let me share with you something that I read about a long time ago. and was able to locate this little uh, story about this. But there's an animal called an ermine, E-R-M-I-N-E. This little furry creature, it lives in very cold climates, I understand. Sometimes it's called a stoat or a weasel. I don't know it's technically a weasel, but something similar to that. And I am told that in places where there's snow, this animal loses its brown fur and grows a beautiful coat of pure white. Now the white fur was very prized and hunters would try to catch these ermines to be able to um, use the white fur for whatever. Sorry for those of you that are animal activists, but nevertheless, this has happened in the, in the past and maybe still going on today. But hunters would find the ermine's den when, it was, when the animal was not inside and smear the outside with mud or filth. They would turn the dogs loose to find this ermine and after the chase, the ermine would finally run back to its home only to discover that the entrance was covered in grime. The nature of this ermine was to stay clean so it would not go through the entrance and get its fur dirty. It's remarkable, but this is what it said. Instead, it would give itself up to the hunters so that its coat would not get dirty. It would rather die than get dirty. Think about that. It reminded me, when I read this story, it reminded me about Joseph of the Old Testament. Who you know, he's in Potiphar's household, and Potiphar, that individual who was high up in Egypt, was away. His wife was home. 
and day after day, um, Potiphar's wife was after Joseph. And, of course, it had to create a great deal of agony. Joseph, but one time, it got so bad that she tried to catch him, and she was trying to get him to commit adultery with her. It's pretty obvious from the story. And the Bible says that he fled. And when he fled, he knew, of course, there was some risk involved. She grabbed his coat or something like that. She ended up bringing him. He ended up being in, in prison for quite a while. But I thought about when it comes to these areas that we're discussing right now. Uh, Joseph is, is a very good model example for us. I real, realize it's a man, but women, it's, you've, there are temptations that come wherever you're at. You must learn to flee from this sin. You try to play around with it, you're going to get burned. And, oh, nobody knows. It's just secret. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. God knows. And he wants you and I to always stay pure and holy. And if there is something in the past that you have not received forgiveness from God about, go to God and ask him to forgive you. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28, verse 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So we come to God, we ask God to forgive us. We slip, we come to God and ask him to forgive us, and we try to put safeguards in so we don't slip again. But if there's areas of your life that you are compromising in, I'm going to admonish you, be very, very careful to get it out. Because just as they say, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It is the will of God for you and I to stay holy, to stay pure. It's not just talk. It's not just a good sermon. It's not just, oh, okay, I heard a nice sermon. This week, it could be very possible, and I might even say probable, that there will be some temptation that will come your way, and you're going to have to recall this message, and it's going to be a test. Are you going to put it into practice or not? Maybe something you turn on the television. It might be something where you know, you're, you're seeing something on your phone. It may be something at a workplace where somebody's talking to you off-color things, get your mind working the wrong way. And you can't change the world, I realize that. I understand that. But you can keep your mind before God, be in his word. Uh, I'm reminded of what the psalmist said in Psalm uh, 119, wherewithal shall young man uh, keep, his, keep pure by what? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You say, man, I am really, I, I'm, I'm getting defeated in this area, and I know it's not right. I know it's not right. I know it's wrong. You ask God to forgive you again and again. It's possible you are not in the word of God enough, and you need to bulwark your life up with your mind, thinking about holiness and God's chasing if you don't go the right way. 
and how you love him and you don't want to displease him with your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Not one of us here can say, I'm not challenged in this area. I did talk with a man who claimed to be a Christian, and we were talking about this subject one time in a Bible study. He says, I don't know. He says, I don't know why people have a problem with this. He says, I never have a problem with it at all. I thought, that guy, he's not even a human being. All of us are going to have problems with these things. He's self-deceived or something. All of us are going to, we have to think purely and holy before God. What about you? Have you, do you have some areas in your life you need to really ask God to forgive you for it and mean it and turn from it? Are there maybe some areas where you're allowing yourself to be tempted and you need to kind of remove yourself from those things? I've, I've heard of people say this, that they actually had to have safeguards when it came to places they went to. Uh, they had to have safeguards and some accountability partners because of patterns that were there. Uh, I know not in your case what it may be, but I do know this. It is God's will for you to stay holy. Come back to the verse of Scripture, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, I implore you, brethren, he's talking to Christians, and exhort you, encourage you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk, and to please God, so you would abound more and more. Who can say, I've arrived in this area? No, we can become more pure as we get close to him. I trust that you will take to heart God's word, not just in these moments, the days and weeks ahead. And while you're living, uh, and you and I are living in a world that's filled with all kinds of spiritual pollution, we'll come back to God and be cleaned up by him. Um, I, I think perhaps, at least maybe for the near future, uh, it might be something when you're hearing the news about what's going on in Palestine, Ohio, that you kind of think and make a connection. Oh, that's bad over there. But boy, I don't want to get polluted spiritually either. All right, so let's stay where God wants to be and follow his pathway because someday we have to stand before him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these sobering admonitions to remind us that you have standards for us in a dark, wicked world that's filled with perversions of every different sort. Please, dear God, help us not to uh, take these admonitions lightly, uh, knowing that you know our thoughts, you know our words, you know our desires, and Lord, we want to please you. And I pray that if there's someone here that has come today that has... Uh, let their guard down while sin to go unconfessed or like maybe come before you and find forgiveness with you, Lord. And I pray that each one of us might, might determine and resolve that day by day we stay in your word to help us 
and we thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit who uh, convicts us and who strengthens us and puts resolve in our hearts so that we can stay holy. And if there's someone who's come today that has never opened their heart to your salvation, Lord, I pray that they would ask you to come to life and save them from their sin and that you would give to them eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I trust that you'll take the message to heart. If you need some counsel or some help in this area, please don't hesitate to ask me. We're going to sing a closing hymn right now. If you take your hymnal and let's turn to Nothing Between, 501, Nothing Between, My Soul and the Savior. Would you stand as we sing, please? And we're going to sing the first and the second verses of Nothing Between. soul and the Savior of this were loose of dreams I every now saw sinful pleasure Jesus is minor nothing between nothing between my soul and the Savior so that his blessed face can be seen nothing preventing the least of his favor keep the way clear let nothing between on the second is the last nothing between like worldly pleasure Habits of life, though armless they seem, must not my heart from Jesus be severed. He is my all, there's nothing between, nothing between soul and the Savior, so that is blessed may be seen nothing preventing the least of his favor keep way clear let nothing between all right a couple closing comments first of all i just saw this uh, recently I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and they are absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. You get the point? I hope you understand it's really important not to forsake yourselves as the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but in so much more as you see the day approaching. We are to be encouraging one another, and thank you for your faithful attendance here. For those of you that are familiar with Victory Baptist Church, there has been an interest in missionary work, and we have uh, several missionaries who have had some needs, and we 
It was brought to our attention. We had some fun. We have a mission box there people give to periodically. And so the Fentons, who are missionaries in, uh, the, uh, in New Zealand, uh, we we're sending, I'm not sure, the check's coming out pretty soon for that. Uh, $1,000 is going to go to them to help them with some needs. And um, uh, missionaries to Liberia, pronounce that name for us again. Gabendas, Gabendas all right. Some of you met the Gabendas, but they had some needs as well, so a check is going to go out to them. But thank you for helping with that. We do have, of course, a box for missions, and there's another box on the side for regular offerings, and we thank you for your generous and giving. We, we are able to keep some bills paid, praise the Lord, but we still have some ways to go in this particular area. So uh, maybe uh, when you're thinking about stopping by McDonald's or Burger King or something like you say, hey, I'll kind of refrain. I'll put that difference in the offering. Well, just saying it more serious, thank you for your faithfulness and stewardship and giving here. Appreciate that very much. There are some financial papers on the back, bulletin board, to give you a little more uh, specifics about this. Uh, there are a few uh, sheets back on the back table in the foyer. I think there's a few left there. And they are actually letters uh, from missionary Bruce Tuttle, who has been a missionary for many years in Ukraine. He recently moved down to the country of Georgia where his son and family live because it got so bad where he's at. But just a few weeks ago, he was helping to take some supplies in some dangerous areas. It is a very sobering letter he wrote, and you read that. His translator interpreter also wrote something, but it helps bring to light how really challenging these people have in Ukraine. And it's not, right now, it's not getting better. It's just really, really tough. Um, they're saying that if any young guy uh, who's uh, Ukrainian gets caught by the Russian troops, he's either shot on the spot or they immediately sent him to the front lines. That's just recent news. So some are being encouraged just to get out before that happens. But I don't know all the up-to-dates on these things. I realize that. But please pray for the Christians and churches in this very, very difficult land. Uh, we have, uh, John has some forms for those of you who are already members of Victory Baptist Church. We're trying to update our, our files on this and we want to get this uh, firmed up. So there's a brief form we'd like you to fill out. Just a few questions on there when you became a member and so on. So John's going to, if you know you're a member or if you have a question about it, you can mention about that. If you have an interest in being a member, we can talk to you about that as well. Uh, and uh, we can put in your hands uh, you know, our Constitution so you can read that as well. So please uh, take one of those from John. Don't hesitate to ask those questions. Next week, uh, we'll be having communion service, and we're going to have our fellowship meal. And we want you to come and join us for this fellowship meal. Some of you didn't know about it the last time. You said you're going to come this time. We're hoping you do. We're going to have these books. Uh, this is the last day for the books here, so we're going to get rid of the books uh, at some other locations. So you want to look at those books there, and then next week there's going to be something even better than books, I guess. There's going to be food on those tables. But we want you to join us for after service. We've changed it this year to having one, basically one time fellowship time uh, at the end of the end of the month. So we want to uh, we want to 
encourage one another beyond just a couple minutes before the service, a couple minutes afterwards. We'll stick around for a little while longer. John, would you pray, please, as we close out?